0: Hey everyone, before we get into today's talk, we just wanted to take a moment and say thanks. Thanks for listening and thank you for all your support. And if this is the first time you're hearing this podcast, we just wanna let you know that we are a church that meets in the Greenville area in South Carolina. We are really passionate about faith, creativity, culture, and building community. Our heart is that this podcast brings added value to your life. As Well as it helps you in your own journey of faith and understanding the human experience and with that, let's get right to it. I Heard a question recently someone asked the question what would happen if the earth stopped moving and The answer was it would be a really bad day for earth you see this rock that we live on is moving around approximately 800 miles per hour through the solar system. And there's this amazing thing called gravity that's actually keeping us attached to this rock. And so if this earth stops spinning at 800 miles an hour, we will be flying all over this room right now. What's fascinating about that is the God that who designed that, he designed this the science, the physics, the quantum physics, and things we don't fully understand, but that intelligent people can speculate and ideate and come up with theories to try to describe the universe, let alone the solar system that we live within. What's fascinating about this is that within this expanding universe that we live in, millions of people have watched an apple fall from a tree, but only one person asked why you see curiosity inside of us actually brings us into the design of something to understand how its designed and its intent last couple of weeks ago we spent some time talking about how the hero in our story and how Jesus was the hero he was the Messiah for the Jewish nation. And eventually we will find out through the course of human history that all of humanity longed for a hero and a messiah named Jesus. There's actually a scripture that said, everybody wants a king like Jesus. So we've got this idea of that Jesus was living on earth for approximately 33 years. He spent the last three in what they call public ministry and a public profile, His all his social media, pages exploded in those last three years. Lots of follows, lots of likes, lots of reposts, lots of posting. But something took place where the disciples thought they were going to the throne of the Roman Empire, and they were excited about overthrowing their oppressors. And Jesus initiates a different idea of what he is moving towards. He introduces the idea that, like, oh, that's not the throne that I'm going toward. I'm actually going to a very different throne and he begins to say I'm going somewhere and you can't come and you can imagine the disciples, because if you, they had no construct no framework of Jesus actually leaving them even though he hinted at it over the course of three years so you can imagine when they said where are you going we're coming with you I mean we're, we're going to ride until we die with you And then Jesus makes this statement that I want to kind of start off the day. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. It's actually in the gospel. It's a powerful statement. He said, I won't leave you as orphans, which implied that there was definitely an emotion of being left or being orphaned by King Jesus. And Jesus uses this language, I won't leave you as orphaned. I will send someone in my place. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You see, when Jesus could only be in one place at one time in the human story, the person that was coming in his place could be everywhere. It could be within many people that follow Jesus. So you talk about maximizing. You talked about 100x, 1,000x. You talk about multiplication. You talk about tapping into the network of all networks. You see, the kingdom is designed in such a way that he's not just thinking this small, the kingdom is thinking this big. In fact, the word big in the kingdom actually means eternal, eternity, or infinite. In Isaiah, there's a very peculiar passage. It actually paints a picture of who Jesus was going to be. And at the very end, how about him? I'm the anointed one, I'm going to preach to the poor, preach to the broken. I'm going to heal people. But at the very end, it said, and the government has no end end, which is an intriguing passage because Jesus is introducing this idea that was very hard to wrap. Even for us today, we can't fully wrap our minds around the idea of something not having a beginning and something not having an end. But in this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying this many centuries before, and his government, he's making reference to Jesus, to the Messiah, his government will have no end. It had no beginning, therefore it will have no end. And what's really cool about that passage, the next line it says, and the zeal of the Lord will see to it. If you look at the word zeal, it carries almost the same emotion as jealousy. How many guys in here have been jealous over a girl before at one point in your life? This is not a trick question. Every junior high boy is jealous at some point in their life over the girl that didn't give you the attention, but gave another guy the attention. How many would recognize that jealousy is a very strong, deep emotion? You can actually feel it in various parts of your physical framework. So the idea of jealousy, the strength of that emotion is almost the same strength that the word zeal has. But what's beautiful about this passage is it, and the zeal of the Lord, that the Lord is so zealous to see what he wants to take place on earth, he will make sure it takes place. And so if you fast forward to this moment when Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphaned, I will send someone in my place. He's making reference to the Spirit of God. He's making reference to the third person in the Trinity, as we understand it in our theology. There's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the relational dynamics, the union that is taking place between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is perfect union. There is nothing more perfect than that dynamic right there. And a few weeks ago, I introduced to you, or at least shared with you the idea, we're not meant to observe this perfect union. We're actually meant to be within the perfect union and experience all the dynamics that are taking place between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, he is going to the other extreme of the opposite of what it means to be an orphan. And his answer, his solution, his his remedy, if I can use that word, was along the line, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Now, this was a rather foreign concept. The idea that God would live inside of you was a rather foreign idea, especially to people he was talking to. And if you study the Old Testament, which is before Jesus came, when you dive into that, there are a couple moments where, actually a handful of moments where God's Spirit would come on someone. But the idea of God's Spirit living within you was a whole new reality. It it was like, what what did he say? He said, the Spirit now going to come and live in us. But what he had to do, he had to paint this idea, this picture, that you're actually a structure that God wants to live within. What's fascinating about the human soul, if we're longing to find something in the known world to, to solve the frequency or the misfrequency in our soul, we will never be satisfied. You were created from outside this realm. You were created outside the dimension that we see. Nothing in this dimension will satisfy the longing of your soul. You may think it fixes it for a week, two years, five years, ten years, but it will exhaust its hype at some point. And you'll be back to square one saying, why is my soul empty?" Why is my soul still longing for something and is still reaching for something to satisfy this? This last week, I flew home, as I mentioned, I spent some time with my parents, and my dad got a piano, a grand piano. He played piano for his entire life. And he hasn't had one for a number of years because he sold it with his previous house, so he bought this new house, and and long story short, he ended up with a piano, and I happened to be there on the day it arrives. And my dad and I had this stupid idea that we could move it eight inches in the right direction. And uh, let's just say we didn't move it. It's an incredibly heavy object. But I saw two guys move it into the house and set it up. So I thought, oh, we can do this. No, we, we do not match the strength of the two guys that moved it. And they had it tuned before it arrived at the house. And so we're at the house, and he's playing it. And I said, that it's still in tune? and, And he would push certain keys on the keyboard. And most of them were still in tune, but a few of them were out of tune. You see, some of us, our keyboards are so out of tune, we don't know what the right tune is or the right note is. Because when you hear a right frequency, and you hear a note that is not the right frequency, it's obvious. And each note, at least most of the keys on the keyboard, have three strings to make it function. And I just want to just use this analogy. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are those three strings. You were designed to, occupy, to be occupied by the Spirit of God. In First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, let's read this together. It says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I want you to say that last line with me. Even the deep things of God. Let's say it with a little bit more passion and involvement. The deep things of God. So the Spirit is searching the mind and the heart of God. Translations use different mind or say mind or heart to so let you say that the Spirit is constantly searching the depths of God. And what's amazing about that, that will actually never end because God has no beginning and has no end. The reason why you can read the Bible in one season and you get loads of revelation from it, and in the next season you get even more revelation because it's written about a God that has no beginning and has no end. So the Spirit is constantly searching the deep things of God. Let's go to chapter 3 now. Verse 3, a very short little phrase within that verse. It said, are you acting like mere human beings? This is a fascinating phrase because the answer is, yes, I'm a human being. I'm acting like a human It's like, why is the two-year-old acting like a two-year-old? Because they're two. The question itself actually revealed a more important question. If that's not what we're supposed to be doing, then what's the other option? You see, when the Spirit came, the Spirit came and literally superimposed another dimension over your life. You now are connected to a completely different dimension. Heaven was not designed to think like you. You were designed to think like heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And the Spirit is what makes that possible. As your soul longs for answers, longs for why things are, the Spirit is searching the deep things of God to bring those to you. And that happened because the Spirit lives within you. So when you go to Acts chapter 2, which is a very famous passage, especially for anyone in the stream of the church that talked about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, we live and die on Acts chapter 2. And we continue to reproduce moments like Acts chapter 2. Let's come together and let's wait. We are so bent in a beautiful way of creating moments in our life where God shows up again. In Acts chapter 2, they're waiting in the upper room and there's a the sound of a rushing mighty wind comes through the room. And when they looked around, everyone had pillars of fire on the tops of their head. This happened to be at the time of year where nations were visiting this city. So if you can imagine, they're looking and they're hearing what's taking place. And the product, the result of this manifestation of the presence of God in this moment where they begin to speak in different languages. They talk about tongues and language. They begin to speak in different languages and tongues. tongue. So people from all over the world are like, wait, they are not. They are not of my nationality, my ethnicity, they're not part of the world, but they're speaking my language perfectly. It's a bizarre chapter, it's a bizarre passage, and yet we still go to it all the time and say, God, do that again. And so Paul asked this question, are you acting like mere human beings? So it revealed a greater question. What are we supposed to be then if we're not supposed to be human beings? The base answer is yes or no. But there's a much bigger question at play. Go to chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and you are God's building. Let's read that again. For we are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, and we are God's building. Notice the language changes from agriculture to architecture. This is distinct because what's happening, remember when Jesus came and when he made this promise, I won't leave you as orphans, he's gonna send his spirit in his place. That changes everything. You go from an agricultural context to an architectural context. Why is it a big deal? Because you're no longer just doing the works of God. Now you are a place where God resides. And from that space is when you begin to do the work of God. Prior to the cross, you would do good things because it's what you were supposed to do. But after the cross, because the Spirit is actually living in you, and you're in sync with the frequency of heaven, everything you do is actually bringing heaven into this context. Instead of just trying to be a good person, instead of just trying to do good things, you are now a piece of architecture that God actually wants to live within. The challenge with our architecture, our building, is we've got a lot of closets that we haven't opened in a while. We got a few bedrooms that haven't been vacuumed or swept or cleaned in a little while, and so we get really nervous about God getting involved in our life. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! The kitchen's fine, but the bedroom and the closets and the garage and the basement and the attic—off limits. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no! I want all of it. I want all of it. So we move from. Agricultural context to an architectural context. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I visited this really small house up in the mountains here. It has 65 fireplaces. I guess it gets cold there. And it has 40 something bedrooms. And there's a 12,000-square-foot carriage house that was entirely built for the purpose of blocking the wind so people would enjoy their experience of stepping in the front door. In this home are two original Monets that are hanging on the wall. There's a massive tapestry rug that is hanging that is over 500 years old, and it's an original, and it's the only one left. It's a really small house. It's, It's just not too far from here. There was a man named Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt had this idea, I need to build a small country home up in the mountains of the Blue Ridge Mountains near Asheville. And his his definition of small was 6,500 square feet, which I know for a lot of us that's massive, but for Vanderbilt, that's a cabin who happened to be one of the wealthiest men to ever live, and especially in his day and age. And so he set out to build this little 6,000-square-foot home, and then he ran into an architect. His name was Hunt. And Hunt said, oh, no, 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 that's not what we're building. We're not building a 6,000-square-foot country two-story brick home. We're going to do something different. So the architect went away. And he came back with the plans for a 175,000-square-foot home. Now, it helps when you have a budget for it. That really does help. (laughs) So I think all of us would be fine with that size of a home if we actually had a budget for it. And he comes back to it and said, no, this is what we're going to build. We're going to build this. And I, I can't help but wonder how many of us, we have the God of the universe living inside of us. We have the God that thought, let's make this solar system move at ridiculous speeds. That if it stopped or slowed down for a minutia, everyone would die. That God, and yet we're content with a six-thousand-square-foot brick house. There's a the Biltmore inside of us. There's a the house inside of us, and God wants to occupy that, and yet we're okay with small thinking. We're okay of just being a good person. Not realizing that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that created everything in the universe, is living in you. And yet we're satisfied with small thinking. We're satisfied with just being a human being. So because of the Reformation, we've had to create new words for our vernacular as humans. Because of the Reformation, we thought, we're going to do our best to define humans. And in that attempt, we have diminished humanity down to a base level. And we've had to develop word called supernatural. The word supernatural never existed prior to the Reformation. And so, because we've gotten so far down to the basis level of a mere human being, we have to create words for something that's beyond, but actually with our original design. So, it's not human or natural and supernatural. Human means you're walking in all the things that Jesus did. Because anything outside of that, we think in our framework, it's extra. It's special. It's a roulette, a spiritual roulette. It just happens whenever it happens. That was not the original design. Irwin says it this way. He says, to have faith is to be human. To not have faith is to be subhuman. Let me take it a step farther. I believe to not actually walk in the power and the wisdom that God walks in, that Jesus demonstrated is to be subhuman. This is why everyone in this room longs for the impossible to take place because your soul knows it's true. Every cell of your being knows it's true and will do crazy things to see it take place in our life because our soul is crying out for something that's actually already in there. And so we just live our life thinking small. Man, I'd just be okay with the two, two-story brick house. God's like, I created the universe. You see, it's mere humans or it's new creation. That's the options. Mere human beings or new creation? This is the conversation we need to be having. The conversation around why are we not thinking Biltmore size ideas? Why are we not thinking in such a way that taps into the God that created the universe? What's wild about this whole conversation, it's actually your choice. If I would, God, I wouldn't make it your choice. I would just make sure it happens. And so God paints this amazing picture of the universe and said, Do you want some of that? And for some reason, we just keep going back down to being less human. And God calling us to a level to to commune with His Spirit in such a way. And the challenge is we live in a day and age right now where small thinking is the currency. It's reinforced. It's enforced. Think small. Australia called it tall poppy syndrome. Japan called it the nail stands higher. We're going to hammer it down. Every culture had the manifestation of keeping you small. And I'm just a little um, nauseated that we've settled for small thinking. We we have such a hard time if someone's wearing Yeezys. If we have a hard time with someone wearing Yeezys, then we're going to have a hard time with anything that resembles who God is. Am I making reference to material wealth? I'm actually not. It's just whenever something violates your standard of what's okay, you're doing your best to get everybody's thinking down to your level. While the disciples were trying to figure out Jesus was talking about groceries, he was talking about all of humanity. While they were trying to figure out, are we going to go for the Roman throne, Jesus was thinking about something much greater that dealt with all of humanity, past, present, and future. You see, heaven's not designed to think like us. We're designed to think like heaven. Small thinking reduces the eternal to a very transient thought. We are designed to be iconoclastic, to be mavericks, to be nonconformist. That's who you were designed to be. When you can look at the disciples and say, Jesus took a bunch of blue-collar, white-collar individuals and turned them into what they turned into, that's profound. And the wild part of it all, we get to choose if we want this or not. It's our choice. I'm going to start winding down. I believe the What was meant to be a pandemic has actually turned into an endemic, is small thinking. It is now reinforced in all areas of our life. It is now acceptable, it's cool, it's conscious. You're very conscientious because you have small thinking. It's supported. And so when someone like Elon Musk decides to do what he's doing, Or when Nehemiah wants to rebuild a city that's impossible to rebuild, you're always going to have people in the Valley of Ono trying to get to you. And I wonder how much of our fear of being attacked keeps us from bigger thinking. We just have to reconcile this reality that the Spirit of God is actually you living inside of us, and why are we still thinking small? Why are we still thinking on a very base human level? And Paul's like, are you still thinking like mere human beings? He said, you're a new creation. So the takeaway this week, all of that to literally say this, I want you to recognize anything that is keeping you at a base level of what it means to be human. It can manifest in your finances, It can manifest in your relationships. It can manifest in how you do life. It can manifest in how you plan your schedule. It can manifest in every aspect of your life. And I want to challenge you any area that has just been reduced down to base human being, base merely human being. I want you to challenge it and say, God, I want you to grow me up in this area of my life. We were designed to have the capacity to have the multifaceted intelligence of God pulsating through every part of our life. That's what we were designed for, and this is why your soul can't reconcile how you live your life and what's actually possible. Your soul is longing for something greater. Your soul is actually quite intelligent. And to today, as we wrap, I want to remind us: we are His workers, we are His field, and we are His building. He is a place that he wants to occupy. He wants to fill. And he wants to take things that are not from this dimension and make them a reality. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. For more information, you can always go to our website, which is studiogreenville.com, or check out our Instagram, which is studio.greenville, and you can follow along for all the latest happenings and updates. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.